This is an audio recording of Warset's Intelligent Corporation Panel at our Vision Weekends 2023, our annual member gatherings held in France and in the US. On this panel, we have Jonathan Passalon-Palmbach, Louis Hammond, Primavera de Filippi, and Trent McConaughey discussing the potential of different technologies to secure human and AI cooperation. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so we've heard about Neurotech, and I think now we're going to move right into intelligent cooperation, and that is our foresight way to say secure cooperation amongst humans and AIs. Um, and so that includes everything from cryptography, security to AI, um, and how to make um, humans and AI intelligences, and maybe uh, things in between, cooperate better. And so this is a quote that I picked from Eric Drexler and Mark Miller when they wrote the Agoric Open Systems Papers over 30 years ago. Um, and those papers are really worth you read. And they write, with many minds building knowledge and competence into market objects and with incentives favoring cooperation among these objects, the overall problem solving ability of the system can be expected to grow rapidly. And so there is this emergent approach to intelligence by having different entities, humans and AIs, cooperate and a rich uh, ecosystem. So let's see where we can get to uh, on this panel. Really, really, really happy to have uh, this panel on board. Um, just a brief intro, Lewis Hammond, Foresight Fellow, also runs the Cooperative AI Foundation, which does amazing work at this intersection. I'm like, yeah, very, very blown away with it. Had a really wonderful hackathon on this topic on multipolar AI recently. John, uh, Jonathan as well, a previous Foresight Fellow at this point, and is really working on uh, the intersection of cryptography, privacy-preserving technologies, um, and applications uh, for that. So actually having us uh, make a secure and privacy-preserved future through that and enabling new applications. Primavera, I think, almost needs an introduction. has been to every Foresight Vision Week at now uh, is also the gold soul of the house. We'll be hosting a plantoid interaction later um, and is not only known for blockchain law, um, but you're also known for, ex um, for institutions uh, and, uh, and all kinds of other uh, new legal constructs, including coordinations, uh, which we'll hear about. Okay, final, last but not least, you know Trent by now. <laughs> He's been on two, uh, on, on two of the last sessions, um, uh, but uh, I think you're here mostly representing, I guess, the crypto and Web3 angle uh, to the problem. Okay, let's kick it off. Um, let me give you a microphone to kick it off. Um, all right. First, uh, let's start with our more general question of like, where, if you think of the space of intelligent cooperation as seen through your lens, right, you all work on different aspects there. Like, um, where do you think this field could be going if it went really, really well in the next five years? So we don't go all the way out there, but like, what do you think is an achievable thing? It could be something you're working on. It could be someone else that you want work that you want to point out, but what's a good future in five years? You'd be happy if we got there. <laughs> Two things. Uh, I'd like to see better, co better zero shot cooperation between AI, AI to AI, and um, more fine grain control between AI and human cooperation. Say maybe a few more words of how we get there. How we get there? Um, I think, I mean, we've got um, a recent paper on that, on uh, the AI to AI cooperation via uh, decentralized credible commitments. And the, I think the AI to human is also tied to like advanced cryptography methods to basically be able to, um, in a way like audit and authorize every single action that you make whenever you interact with an AI, be it like improve it or obtain predictions from it. Okay. So how would this work look like? It sounds really interesting, but I think we need to do it in the guest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this would look like, um, in a way, almost like, I mean, that's not a great user experience, but you can think of it as like the way you interact with crypto wallets these days, uh, where whenever you want to 
perform an action that somehow um, interacts with the smart contract on the blockchain, you've got to sign a transaction. So you're making like a, a deliberate action from your user interface uh, to authorize an operation uh, with the smart contract. So I'd like to see something along these lines uh, with AI, where instead of like being opted in most of the interactions you're having with, uh, with AI these days, uh, you're a bit more conscious uh, on, on what happens uh, behind the scenes. And of course, like the, yeah, the UX has to be ironed out because like you don't want to authorize every single action, but at least being able to, to, to give like broad policies on what you want and do not want and change the, the default from opt out to opt in maybe would be to opt in to, to opt out would be, oh, would be good. Almost the opposite of polar principle of least authority then. Or <laughs> Interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, what's yours? Um, yes. So I think within the next five years, it's probably pretty likely that we'll start to see lots of um, kind of uh, probably language model based or other foundation model based kind of agents running around. This is now kind of, you know, not too hard to foresee, especially with the kind of recent uh, launch of this kind of open AI GPTs and so on, which was like always going to happen. Uh, and so I think we'll start to see kind of many, many agents kind of running around, uh, probably mostly virtually uh, doing a bunch of things uh, for us. Um, I think one of the things I'm uncertain about is uh, quite the level of, you know, how, how high stakes uh, their kind of interactions will be and so on. We already see AI systems deployed in lots of high stakes situations uh, from kind of algorithmic trading all the way to kind of military planning and things like this already. And they're kind of agent-based systems often. Um, and I think the thing that I would like to see in five years to get to the question um, is I think there are many things that we have, uh, technologies and other kind of bits of infrastructure and so on that have emerged over the course of uh, human civilization. But we haven't really thought about them that much beforehand. Or if we have, we've thought about them and we've tried to do a pretty good job and then we've kind of inevitably kind of failed to catch all of the, the issues and so on. And I think... Uh, my worry is that very few people are currently thinking about what happens in this world, which is very soon, of tons of little agents kind of running around doing a bunch of things and how that kind of impacts uh, the kind of our society and our economy and all of these sorts of things. Um, and I think there's, there's technical work to be done there about kind of uh, figuring out, you know, what, what happens or what is likely to happen when we have these agents kind of running around. So there's kind of complex systems type stuff, or there's some evaluations type stuff. Um, but there's also lots of governance to be done. Uh, we might think about kind of the protocols or the institutions or the norms or all of these sorts of, you know, the, the scaffolding, the structure, the infrastructure, the substrate via which these agents interact, and whether that will be exactly the same as humans, if they're using some of the same, you know, language or kind of, you know, generating other modalities that we're comfortable with using, but there might be other things on the table there too. Um, and I think there's going to be a need to be like a big push from kind of all many different angles. So from technical angles, governance angles, all sorts of things, uh, to kind of build that infrastructure and that structure in a way which, uh, actually doesn't like lock in a bunch of bad things or annoying things or things that kind of actually then kind of push us in directions that we, we don't want to go. Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think maybe like three, three directions that are kind of correlated. Uh, the first one is coordination, uh, which is, um, I think probably within the five years time, we need to figure out new modalities of, uh, global coordination. Um, we have seen, and we keep seeing how existing governance structure are incapable to actually operate at the global level, uh, because of 
the refusal to actually understand the interdependencies. And, um, and I think there is an opportunity to uh, leverage sovereign technologies in order to create new sovereign communities um, that actually are geared towards the attempt at least to uh, govern on a global scale. Uh, and this is like all the coordination. So like not network state type of network states, um, which are more about looking at embracing interdependencies rather than exit and uh, just trying to extrapolate away from existing nation state, but rather understanding the interdependencies and actually um, trying to interweave with one another more so uh, because it's through it's by actually embracing interdependency that we might actually be able to collaborate finally uh, in order to perhaps save our planet and maybe save humanity um and uh, and i think like in in my view uh, and of course because this is my main focus but i think like web3 blockchain are um a fantastic opportunity of uh, creating additional layers of sovereignties uh, which do not necessarily transcend away from territorial sovereignty because we still live on a territory and nation states are pretty okay at managing the infrastructure and things like this, but, but actually deploying new types of sovereign communities, uh, which up until before the blockchain was difficult to actually create a, a real sovereign community because you always have some server running somewhere and therefore wherever is the territory in which the server is running, the, the, the government can shut it down. Um, whereas with blockchain, we can actually now experiment with those, uh, with those new form of sovereignties. Um, so that's one point. And the other point is, uh, um, is actually if we, if we, if we assume that in five years time, we will have a lot of those like little sovereign agents, uh, which can leverage AI blockchain and so forth. Um, I think we also need to, um, increasingly uh, design them for collaboration, not just amongst each other and amongst humans, but also with nature. Uh, and I think there is also a fantastic opportunity to leverage those technology in order to understand things that we don't fully understand, or at least to be able to like interact with uh, other type of living beings uh, that uh, we are not paying enough attention to. Um, and I think in the same way as technologies has often been seen as a way for humans to instrumentalized technology in order to actually damage our environment. Uh, we, we have a never stronger responsibility today to instrumentalize technology or to let nature instrumentalize technology in order to actually uh, rescue or sustain itself. It's so well with nature 2.0, no? It's a perfect segue. So what's your one? And yeah, Primo and Vera and I have a long running conversation of the nature 2.0, 3.0 um, uh, stuff. There we go. And sovereign nature, there's an initiative. Anyway, for myself, uh, to this question on, um, you know, what is the, the past and future of coordination um, among uh, humans and AIs? Um, at the heart of it, um, the, the glib answer is the Charlie Munger quote, show me the incentive and I will show you the outcome. But let's unpack this more. And I'm going to unpack it in three dimensions, human, 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 AI, then AI, AI. So human, human, uh, the sort of current state of the art is we've got lots of well-defined organizations to coordinate humans. Um, 
even pre-blockchain, right, companies as the great thing. And that was an invention, right? The Dutch invented it, and from that became the richest, wealthiest empire um, uh, of, of the time, 1600s and so on, right? Um, the Dutch East India Company. And um, so corporations are around, but also cooperatives, et cetera. And these are wonderfully tested organizations that actually work very well for coordinating you know, anywhere from five humans to 50,000 or more humans, right? And then we also have blockchain technologies, which have the promise to actually um, make all of these existing corporate, these existing structures much more efficient, right? You can actually put a co-op on a blockchain. You can put a corporation on a blockchain. And there are efforts for this. I wish there was 10x more. And then there's DAOs, which weirdly got this idea that it's like no rules and you're constrained by Dunbar numbers. Um, but we really should be leveraging like, you know, there's co-ops that can have 75,000 people like the Saskatchewan Wheat Pool. So why aren't we putting that on chain? Things like that. So we can. And I see this as part of the future. And by the way, incentives are built into some of these, especially companies, right? The profit motive. So this is very useful. Um, and I see that as uh, overall part of the future um, for coordination among humans. And blockchains are special in that they allow us to coordinate at even more broad global scale that we might not have been able to coordinate before. Things like solving climate with the right core incentives, we may be able to crack climate. You know, but we need to get a proper financial incentive in there, like short Miami. Um, and I could go on and on about that, but I digress. Uh, then AI humans. Um, so we, a lot of, you know, mainstream thinks that this idea of humans interacting with AIs is a new thing, right? But I can tell you, you know, in the early uh, 2000s, I was building tools that were AI powered to um, design computer chips, right? And at first we framed it as this thing invents, it comes up with novel analog circuits that can be patented. And humans hated this. The analog engineers are like, I don't want this. I'm going to be out of a job. So we reframed this to, you know, this is a super tool for you. It makes you, gives you powers. So we called it genius. And then our tagline was unleash your genius, which has two meanings, of course, the meaning that we actually believe, but the meaning that the engineers were like, oh, great, I can unleash this. So we've, and it wasn't just the early 2000s. This goes back, you know, decades as CAD tools for circuit design, but also mechanical um, design, et cetera. The thing that's happening now is that these AI powered CAD tools are hitting the mainstream, right? So it's AI powered CAD tools for everybody, democratized AI powered CAD tools. So, so what engineers have seen for decades, we're finally getting for the rest. A good example is prompt engineering, right? We're starting to see tools to help generate prompts. And these are basically CAD tools to interact with GPTs to get their power out of them, right? Where will this go? We're gonna see way more powerful um, CAD tools for mainstream for all these different app use cases and applications, just like we've seen the evolution of these CAD tools for electrical circuit design. So that's AI human. Finally, AI AI. Um, so there have been AI AIs interacting with each other over at least 20 years. The biggest example is ad exchanges. Even as uh, by, by say 2010, did you know there was 400,000 transactions per second worth of robots talking to robots for buying and selling ads on Google ad exchange, right? And of course there's the TradFi trading as well that was mentioned before. Um, now, of course, none of those were sovereign agents. So now we have blockchain technology that enables these sovereign agents. And that's where the future lies is that all of these AIs will be able to like, um, you know, be, you can deploy them as a human and make money yourself, but you can also deploy them to just run free on their own, right? They can re run free on their own living digitally, but there's nothing stopping these things from having resources in the real world, right? Imagine an Uber car that's self-driving that's also self-owning, right? So you can have full fleets of this and self-owning roads and self-owning forests and all of this. So this is the Nature 2.0 vision, right? So that's, um, you know, an exciting future. And of course, there are going to be for sure, these self-owning AGIs and self-owning AI superintelligences, right? And if we're smart about it, they won't run us over. 
Um, so to summarize, um, at the heart of it, show me the incentive, I will show you the outcome. Um, and I describe the past and future for human-human, human-AI, and AI-AI. And if we, if we get it right, it will be a glorious future. Wow, great. That's almost a closing statement here, <laughs> but we're not quite there yet. Um, well, okay. The, I think those are pretty aligned, complementary in like, you know, in interesting ways, all of your perspectives here. I would love to know a little bit more about like, you know, in general, uh, if we see technological progress, like across AI now and across like uh, other technologies, I think it's interesting to see that, um, you know, you do have people that perhaps come more from the decentralized aspect and really pushing for like, I guess, like more of an open sourcing and opening up these technologies. Um, and then people on the other hand, being really worried about like um, infra hazards and infra risk and, and just the proliferation of these technologies that can potentially be uh, pretty, um, yeah, just pretty risky. So I would love to know from your perspective, do you have like a more nuanced view on the whole kind of like open versus closed debate or even on the multipolar versus singleton debate for AI, like, is there anything, you know, that you want to give people along the way as, you know, b before we all get to polarize and in, in, into different camps, is there anything you want to say to this? Maybe we start also with you, Lewis. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm definitely more in the kind of like, uh, AI X risk rather than kind of like, you know, accelerationist kind of glorious, uh, future open source, everything type camp. So I'll put my cards on the table there. Um, I, I don't think I necessarily buy that if people are developing, uh, the most powerful kind of frontier systems that, uh, is safer if like more people are doing that. My guess is like risk probably goes up monotonically in like the number of people trying to develop like AGI systems. That's my, that's my guess. I don't know. Um, uh, but I do, I do think the idea of de decentralization and all of these things are are great. And I also worry uh, about kind of power being locked in uh, to a very kind of small number of actors uh, and then being able to kind of, you know, uh, wield that power in a way that kind of impacts the rest of us kind of poorly. Um, so I think I'm kind of, yeah, I don't worry so much about the kind of open source things today. I think that's not really the issue. Um, I think what I worry about is that it's starting to become, I mean, I guess it's always felt a little bit like a, almost a kind of a culture war-esque issue. Uh, and I'm slightly worried that uh, we're going to lose some of the nuance of the debate. Um, and that, yeah, that will be an issue uh, now, not such a big problem. Later, if we get to much more powerful models, that seems like it might be more of a problem. Um, so I don't know really whether I'm kind of coming down on any side particularly, but that's my that's my middle of the road nuance to you. Yeah, take, no, I mean, maybe. I was asking people to like okay. have something that's a little bit more distinguished, I guess, than one of the other camp. Because I think when you actually ask people, they usually do have a more distinguished opinion than just one or the other. Do you want to? It's quite commonsensical. I mean, I, well, I hope it's commonsensical. Maybe yeah. the others will disagree with me. No, I think I kind of agree with you. Um, I think my main concern is that I've got the feeling that we are um, we're thinking in in terms of like risk or hope, but too much into the future and not enough in the short term. And I think the way we define our relationship with AI uh, for the short term is actually more of a human to human uh, collaboration interaction rather than how do we interact with AI right now? The reason is if we look at like, you know, even the, the debate like closed versus open AI, open source AI, um, it's, it's very much a question of like who gets to have a say on, on how these AI behave, what do they do? What like, um, what part of society do they interact with? Uh, and, and to me, like the, the current version of it is that there is a handful of private corporations, uh, that are actively reshaping societies 
without any any input from the citizens of these societies. Uh, so we are very much touching, you know, the friction as well between these online communities as well, the network states and the nation states. And, and to me, uh, that could be like a, a very important high risk in the coming years, uh, because like we are understanding like the, the short-term impact of AI and how people could perceive it, uh, not just in terms of like, you know, job losses and how it redefines the economy, but just in terms of like, what is the purpose of being human anymore? Uh, if, if, you know, even if I've got UBI somehow, uh, but I feel like I'm totally useless on a day-to-day basis, how do nation states keep the whole thing together? Uh, if there's like a bunch of people that, you know, don't really feel like they've got anything to do. Um, I'm sure coordination can solve that, but first we need to figure out coordinations. Um, no, uh, to answer your question, I think that, um, um, I think I've never actually, uh, felt the existential risk related to AI until people started actually using the narrative of AI existential risk. And now I'm very afraid, uh, because I think this narrative is, uh, is having like a very, um, dangerous effect on society in the sense that, um, on the one hand, it's like, it's, it's actually justifying, uh, like I'm, I'm very pro open AI, by the way. Um, I think the existential risk narrative around AI is justifying that, uh, corporate actors are actually training those models that are too dangerous for the normal population to deal with, but they are not too dangerous for a evil corporation to deal with. Um, and, and, I'm, I'm very afraid of the AGI that will come out of a private corporation, much less afraid than the AGI that we will have collectively trained with the world. And I think the danger is that because of a potential risk, which is not null, but it's also not certain, uh, we are certainly changing the way in which we're now working in the ecosystem of AI, which is centralizing corporate powers around this thing because of this possible X percent risk, uh, we are actually affecting in the present something that in my view is actually quite dangerous. And I, I don't feel comfortable with the idea of living in a society in which those incredibly powerful tools are controlled only by a few large corporations, which claim to be the only one that can actually manage them. Uh, as opposed to, you know, if, if, if AGI has to come, uh, there will be probably more than one at the beginning. And, uh, it's more about if the evil AGI has to come out, which probably will, there will be an evil one. Uh, the only way to, to win is to have another AGI that is not evil and that can counteract it. And, and this is not going to come out of any private company. And, uh, and I think in the same way we've seen with like collaboration, Wikipedia, whatever, uh, it, it does start with the strange axiom to believe that the majority of the humanity is actually good and, uh, will actually try and train something for the good of the collective being, um, as opposed to companies, which are actually by their definition designed to just maximize their own profit. So, in my, in my vision of the future, like independently of whether or not we should be scared of AGI, I am so much more scared of the AGI that has been trained in a closed and proprietary version by very specific private interest than the AGI that is a collective outcome of uh, people training towards 
what they consider to be the general interest. Do you think, and then I'll, I'll okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Of course. There's so much to unpack. Let's of course. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it, it's been framed as, you know, open versus closed. And I think, um, this is, uh, there, there's two answers to this, uh, that are nuanced. One of them is, is that there are shades of gray. Um, and we, with technology, we can unlock those shades of gray and that helps us in the near term. And then within more technology, with more technology, um, we resolve, and that solves the near-term privacy questions and monopoly questions. And then in the medium long-term, it's also technology that solves the, the questions of basically AI risk, long-term AI risk. So I'll unpack this. Um, so uh, there's been this long-standing privacy debate, you know, is open better, closed better, et cetera. And um, if you think about it, uh, we all use uh, Google or email or otherwise, only you can see your email and you can share whether you write an email to one person or 10. So you're actually giving access control to that piece of content to someone else, right? So in general, this concept of access control gives you shades of gray between privacy and, and openness, right? And there's this wonderful book by David Brin called The Transparent Society that he really lays out, you know, we can either have fully open or fully closed and uh, fully closed is a bad idea because we get totalitarian regimes. Fully open is the only way we need surveillance, surveillance from below. But actually, uh, there is, he missed the nuance that you can have shades of gray of control with uh, access control. And do you want Google to have access control or do you want to make it where there's no middleman and it's fully decentralized? So that's what I spent, you know, my, my day job since 2017 has been that with Ocean, which is at the core decentralized access control, especially for access to AI data. So I'm doing this day to day. Um, and to the, you know, there's this idea that maybe, um, uh, if we let a handful of companies compete, that will be good. And I'm actually okay with, you know, five, six companies competing. That's, that's healthy enough. We have that in many other industries. It's fine. The problem with AI is that, um, is that ultimately all the Chinese organizations are under control of the, the Chinese government um, and they already have their own um, version of um, control of the citizens via their social credit system. It's basically Cory Doctorow's magic down and out in the magic kingdom, the reputation problem, woofy. China has woofy, right? So that's really a problem for the Chinese folks. Now in the um, uh, West, um, are we okay? You know, we, we, the U.S. loves to promote competition and all this, but... Um, when you write an email in Google, um, you know, Edward Snowden, his revelations in the mid 2010s um, were that Google and Apple and all this, the information is going straight from them to the NSA um, with the PRISM program, right? That didn't get shut down with the Snowden revelations. Now we have 10x, 100x the PRISM program. The NSA sees everything, right? So we can pretend that it's competition among five or six companies, but it's not. Ultimately, it's the US government seeing this all. So it would be great if it was five or six or 10 companies competing, but it's actually not. It's just USA versus China, right? And they they are pushing their thumb down on us. So it's actually extremely naive to believe that if you have five or six private companies um, help it, serving us all, it's not true. It's USA versus China. And they have not um, been good to the internet in general on average. Now and then the internet sneaks through and that's very helpful. So I'm not hopeful on this in the future. So if we can have open um, AI systems, that's more healthy. But if we have these tools of decentralized access control, then we can have the shades of green between and we can actually have incentives for monetization and all this. And I think that's the future. So where you um, can control the privacy of the data, you still get the benefits for humanity and all this. So that's the near term. And the long term is, you know, upload ourselves to the clouds, blah, blah, blah. Right. But in near term, the, the, the main solution is understand that the shades of gray between open and closed 
Um, closed is not the answer because ultimately it's governments in control. So it's open with shades of gray privacy. Thanks. Well, well, I want you guys to get back to that as well. And perhaps like if there's a specific technology where you think that would be really useful, um, you know, to push more for uh, in the next few years, you already mentioned like, I mean, access control, I guess it's not technical technology, but you know, it is definitely something, a mechanism to implement, right? Um, do you have any specific technologies that you want to highlight and feel free to also answer, um, um, or like get back to the question before? Oh. Yep. Sure. Well, yeah, I, I guess access control is like, it's probably like the umbrella term, but then the, it's uh, how you're actually enforcing it. And and that's probably where you get into the cryptography side of it. Cause yeah, uh, really like. yeah I mean like everything that, you know, falls under the term of like secure computing in general, like so how do you compute over data that remains encrypted even while processing them and not just at rest. So all the FHE, um, MPC, even though, you know, let's say MPC is like an umbrella term as well, but like, yeah, all the, the homomorphic encryption, like, uh, kind of things, even like, uh, trusted execution environments, uh, to some aspect, uh, that's to me like a way to implement these, these kind of access control policies. Cause fundamentally, as soon as you duplicate data, you can't enforce access control anymore. So the only way to enforce access control is to make sure that when the data is created, it remains unique, uh, throughout its, its existence. And, and to do that, you kind of like create the data and or the model uh, in a in a jail box uh, and you never let it out. So you only interact with it through a very well-defined interface that is controlled by these, these access primitives that could be, you know, plugged into a chain if you wanted to. What about you, Lucius? Uh, at our recent work, you came up with, a, uh, I guess, like new tools to avoid collusion amongst AIs and then you had the big multiple hackathons, I'm sure. Some different technologies popped up there that we're using. Yeah, although I will say that hackathon was primarily focused on like finding examples of which things can go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, Is there any new one that you want to highlight here, or just um, really I can I can highlight one interesting thing which could go wrong, which is the possibility of. Um, Collusion between AI systems, um, uh, in particular steganographic collusion. So basically, um, we rely lots now on the idea that, uh, well, great, these, you know, models are communicating in, uh, in modalities such as text and images that actually we can understand as humans. That's part of what makes them so great, so useful. Um, and the concern is that we kind of end up getting these systems to work together to solve problems for us. Like that's not the concern. Uh, but, uh, we probably have ways that we want them to act ways that we don't want them to act, you know, solve the problem this way. Don't solve it the other way. Um, but if you're a couple of AI systems, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be incentivized to kind of, you know, maybe there'll be some optimization pressure towards solving it the way that the human wants it to solve, but there might be other gains to be had by just solving it, doing exactly what you wanted to do and just hiding it from the human instead. Right. So, um, this is the kind of worry between steganography uh, and collusion, steganographic collusion between language models and so on. Um, and we're kind of doing some uh, kind of, yeah, preliminary kind of experimentation and work around that. Um, there's a recent paper that came out of Redwood just a couple of uh, weeks ago on this topic. And I think this hasn't been an issue so far because we haven't seen AI systems interacting um, very much. Uh, and I think this will potentially become a problem soon. Um, so that's one thing. Um, yeah, I also think re closely related, uh, one antidote to this might be the possibility of, uh, better interpretability tools where we can, uh, look into the mechanisms and so on in internal to these models and figure out kind of, uh, what it is that they're doing and whether they're, why they're doing things and so on. And so that might be one kind of way that we can make progress there. Um, I'm also interested in basically scaling up what's 
now kind of termed sometimes kind of adaptive mechanism design or autonomous mechanism design, basically where you have kind of mechanism design type agents who are kind of shaping the behavior of other AI systems, both in training and in deployment. And this is nice. You know, you can run this on your little multi-agent reinforcement learning setups and like little grid world games, and that's cute and fun. It doesn't scale to anything big yet, um, but it would be potentially quite powerful and useful if it did. So those are a few things. Thanks. Um, yeah, I guess um, my answer would be blockchain because it's always my answer. Um, but uh, <laughs> now to elaborate a little bit, uh, I think blockchain is interesting for two reasons when, when associated with AI. Uh, on the one hand, is like there is like all this discussion about like what are we doing when everything that is ever created and generated is done by an AI, uh, and how do we distinguish between reality and bullshit? Um, which I find always interesting as a, a discussion because today I think there is way more bullshit on the internet than GPT can generate. Um, <laughs> so the problem is already here, which is now we are aware of it. Um, so I think it's interesting because all of a sudden the, the immense generativity that AI is providing is also bringing us back to care about things that we should have cared all the time, which is provenance and uh, authentication, authenticity and so forth. Um, and this is where I think like everyone is trying to find this perfect intersection between blockchain and AI. And I actually think this is a, this is an interesting one is like, uh, using blockchain in order to provide, um, uh, certifications of what is the provenance. And it doesn't matter if it's created by a human or by an AI, but what matters is that there is one trusted entity or party that endorses it. And that's when all of a sudden I'm, whatever I read, I don't care if GPT has created it. I want to know that someone that I trust thinks that it's correct. Um, so that's one side. And the other side, I think is, uh, more like, more on like, how do we make sure that uh, the AGI grows, uh, well, <laughs> it's well nurtured. Um, and I think there is this very interesting, very early on. And I think they are very limited so far, but interesting to see in the coming five years, um, of like those uh, blockchain based, system for decentralized machine learning for both for inference and for actual training, uh, which is quite fascinating when, when we're thinking about sovereign entities, because today we are still talking about who is training the AI. Uh, and whether it should be a public entity, a private entity, whether it should be like civil society and whatnot. Uh, but in reality, we actually are building the tools for the AI to train itself. Um, which is kind of fascinating when you think you can have like a decentralized inference model, like generative AI on a blockchain that you can pay a smart contract in order to generate something. And then that smart contract accumulates funds and then can train a decentralized network in order to improve its own models and so forth. And so in the end, you actually create an AI, not yet AGI, but an AI system that is not is not trained by anyone, doesn't have anyone that chooses which, 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 which part of the latent space should be narrowed down or bridged, but just extend according to what the current AI system thinks that it can extend its capabilities. And then we actually start really talking about some degree of sovereign AI. Oh, love the world there too. Um, wonderful. And um, maybe we can get to one or two of the um, manifold questions as well. Um, one of them is just plain old, um, which risk of AI is most concerning? So are people here in this room and I want to have a show of hands, mostly worry about accidents, abuse, or misalignment. Um, okay. Let's have a show of hand. Who is mostly worried about accidents? Okay. 
Who's mostly worried about abuse? So malicious actors. Okay, a few. Who's more wor most worried about misalignment? Okay, that will be most. <laughs> Um, oh, we have a little, a little fluffy head. I just really, I just cheated and I just went kind of for both, for both. You're halfway also both. like, is misalignment an accident? Presumably we're not deliberately misaligning it. <sighs> and if we I, are, is that malicious or abuse? I don't. Wow. Okay. Now you're opening up the box. Sorry. No, I, I guess, just ruined yeah. it for everyone. Those would be more like smaller accents. Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Point taken may need to be rephrased, uh, in which case uh, it may win. Let's uh, look at the next one here, which is more general in terms of um, AGI will more likely resemble multipolar than a singleton scenario, and that is 41% uh, chance. So most people think that it's a singleton scenario, like still. So you can still change that uh, by actually voting you guys. Um, and then we have um, a general one about... Which risk is most concerning? Okay, the chance that um, AI has a positive impact on the future of humanity is extremely good, unbalanced good, neutral, unbalanced bad, and extremely bad. Uh, and I'd also love maybe to do a hand raise for that. Uh, so who do you think that the chance that AI has a positive impact on the future of humanity is extremely good? Unbalanced good. Okay, neutral. <laughs> neutral would be crazy. <laughs> unbalanced bad. Unbalanced bad? I think unbalanced bad short term and extremely good long term. Okay. Um, and extremely bad. Okay. Well, this is obviously like very coarsely grained done. Um, but I know that you want to talk to each other individually and you want to talk to the speakers. So the next thing that we're going to do is do a speaker breakout. Uh, sorry, a speaker meet and greet here. So everyone from uh, the new attack panel, I will be getting them in here and uh, maybe in here or at the coffee and tea, and you'll be able to talk to everyone here on the panel. I just want to hear from you one last sentence of what is something that uh, people uh, can talk, contact you about, or what is something that you really are excited to geek out about uh, over the next break. Decentralize all the AI. <laughs> um, how do we use AI in order to create sovereign entities? Um, and... And I'm, one thing I'm really interested to speak about is like there is all those, uh, there's this new project that are actually trying to train AI in order to understand animals and nature, which is fascinating because all of a sudden this means that the AI can also be trained with new data. That is data that we cannot absolutely comprehend because... Yeah, they are species type stuff, right? And all of a sudden like the AI can learn from human data, but also from animals data and actually the intuition is like oh this is going to be so much better because humans are evil but i'm not sure like maybe human maybe animals are just as evil we don't know but it's like it's interesting that there is a whole incredible amount of data sets that the ai can learn from which we cannot learn from because we will never understand um and like what come out of that like what kind of ai or agi come of the integration of all human knowledge and all animal knowledge. Uh, I'd like to chat about what do you think is the killer use case for decentralized and or verifiable AI uh, beyond we need it because like, you know, it's an alternative to big tech, but just like when is it superior to the current state of like centralized AI that we've got? Oh, let's talk about killer. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then maybe I've got like two things. So one is just my like day job thinking about cooperation in the context of AI systems. Um, 
very broadly construed. And also I'm increasingly interested in the intersection of uh, technical work and governance work and how those two can kind of complement each other. I think that's really interesting. Uh, but I'd also just like to cycle back to the animal thing. I know nothing about this, but if anyone does know something about this and wants to come and talk to me about that, please come and talk to me about that. I am extremely hyped about the possibility that I might get to speak to whales within my lifetime. <laughs> this is like amazing. Well, as far as I know, it's the only species in the that they are 